Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. We're continuing our series on introducing the RYR Endurance Team and coaches Dean and Paula Roberts. And I'm Dean. Hey, I'm Paula. We are the founders and co-coaches of the RYR Endurance Team. In our last episode, you interviewed me. Now we're turning the tables and today I'll be asking you the questions so our listeners can get to know you better and understand your strengths as a coach for running and triathlon. Oh boy. (laughs) You haven't always been a runner or a triathlete, but you've always been active. Tell us about the activities you enjoyed while growing up. Well, I grew up in a neighborhood with a bunch of boys. Well, I mean, there were some girls, but they stayed indoors and played with Barbies. I much more enjoyed kickball, skateboarding, but mostly I just loved riding my bike. We would spend hours doing willy contests and just uh, doing all the tricks we could possibly learn on the bike. I saw a commercial one day and this kid was riding his bike turned around backwards on his handlebars. So, of course, I had to learn to do that too. So. <laughs> and you still can to this day. Yeah, I, I can. I had, to, <laughs> I had to, you know, prove that to my son just, you know, to impress him when, mm-hmm. when, he, when he was young. But uh, the, the older kids in the neighborhood, I was probably nine or ten. The older kids in the neighborhood, like the teenagers, had motorcycles and they had this big motorcycle ramp on an empty lot. I was four foot nothing if I was even four foot tall. I might have been three six. I have no idea. I was short. The ramp was taller than me, but they talked me into jumping this ramp on my bike, which I was always going to take a dare. (laughs) I was going to take a challenge, so I get up at the top of the hill, fly down the hill, curve into that lot, and I mean, I go airborne over that ramp, and I was terrified, but I I landed it, except for when I landed, my little girl's huffy bike with the banana seat just split in half. <laughs> so, I mean, it did hurt, but obviously I wasn't going to cry in front of those teenage kids that dared me to do it, but thankfully my brother showed up, and he helped me get the two pieces of my bike home and hid it from my parents because... We were pretty sure they'd kill us. (laughs) I'm not sure my parents know that uh, to this day. So, But I guess my other sport, uh, which is endearing to my heart, is water skiing. That's something that my granddad, my mom's dad, always took us to do. He took us boating, and he uh, taught me to ski on some little trainer skis. When I was five years old, the skis were such that if I fell, the person in the boat let go of the rope that way if I forgot to let go of the rope I wouldn't drown but honestly that was probably my first hobby and actually I still love boating to this day (laughs) so you were very active and it sounds like you were uh, were fearless jumping your bike over a motorcycle ramp so this may explain some of your choices later in life that we'll get to eventually but for now let's uh, let's go to middle school so I remember that first day I think it was, I don't remember what class it was, Block, maybe, Miss Martin, maybe. Uh, that first day of school, seeing you in the far corner in a plaid shirt with feathered hair and freckles. <laughs> All and... the hair spray. <laughs> it was the 80s, people. It was the 80s. And it was love at first sight, even way back then. So when you interviewed me in the previous episode, you mentioned that we became friends because I chased you during recess. So, uh, now let's let the truth come out. Did you slow down so I could catch you up? <laughs> no. Uh, first of all, I had just come from a private school, so I was pretty overwhelmed by public school anyway. And then here's this kid chasing me. So, 
no, I thought I was a fast runner, and I could run fast. I felt like I was out running you, but you didn't ever get tired. So I had to stop and catch my breath. So you starting to run in third grade, I think, really worked to your favor in that. So, But the other thing I remember about you running is you would tell me you ran cross country. I had no idea that was sport. So literally, I pictured you running across the United States and I would just look at you like I have no idea what you're talking about. So that that just makes me think of something for uh, for you Paula and for our listeners. How many times have you been out running and somebody yells run Forrest run? <laughs> I think people <laughs> yell that to guys more than they yell it to girls. I've probably had a little bit more inappropriate things oh. uh, <laughs> which we won't go into but right. yeah I've, I've heard that before but more toward guys than me yeah so running has been a part of our relationship from the beginning I, I remember one of our first car dates in high school was to the University of Southern Indiana over in Evansville where I was running the snowflake derby it was December early December and it was on grass and uh, it was cold and messy what do you remember about that date to the Snowflake Derby? <laughs> Freezing to death? <laughs> no, honestly, I don't remember anything about the race. Um, I, by this time, at least I knew what cross country was because I'd known you since seventh grade. So at least I was familiar with what was happening. But I was freezing that day. But then uh, what I really remember about that day is afterward, <laughs> you took us to Showbiz Pizza which was, I guess, the precursor to Chuck E. Cheese's is what it was. I'd never heard of it. I think maybe you had been there. I'm not... I hadn't been there either, but I had just seen it and, and just thought it would be a fun place to go. <laughs> and maybe it is for uh, <laughs> middle fine, schoolers fine or elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I stuck around. Uh, the, the pizza, I don't remember being very good. The entertainment was weird. There were these giant stuffed animals, like, playing guitars and... Like, they were fake, like robot stuffed animals. It, it was just weird. So, and at 16 years old, we were by far the oldest kids in the room. So, hey, I stuck around. And I'm glad you did. <laughs> so, uh, from middle school to high school, and then eventually we got married while both going to college. We just couldn't stay apart when uh, I went to the University of Kentucky and you stayed in Owensboro and went to Kentucky Wesleyan but uh, I was running and uh, along the way you were cheering me on in addition to being a wife a mother a cheerleader you were also a teacher and you built a legacy with the middle school math program and you were once named teacher of the year how does your teaching experience make you a better coach for our athletes well, first of all, I just want to address the Teacher of the Year thing. I think getting that award has much more to do with the generosity of the people around you than anything else. But I have to give a shout out to, I guess it was Molly Elliott at the time, but it's Molly Willett. And she and I started our teaching careers together. And we heard, we worked really hard. We uh, read everything we could get our hands on and it was just really important to us to be great teachers but she is the one who secretly got a team together and nominated me so when I got the award honestly I was pretty shocked but it was a very humbling experience and she was a really good friend to have done that so anyway I started as a middle school uh, math teacher and in my first year I went to the administration and asked if I could start a math team. There were some schools in the uh, county school system that had math teams, and I wanted I wanted that for our school system as well. In the third year, we actually won the state math bow title, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I just learned so much about coaching through that experience, and honestly, what I'm most proud of in my entire career is that that math team legacy lives on and right now it has an outstanding coach Sarah Lamb Sullivan and they continue to to work hard and rack up state honors year after year so I was probably most known 
really for the math team and it's it's filled with the school's most gifted math students but in my day job i also taught kids who never like math actually they perceive themselves as no good at it so i just figured my job was to pitch it where they could hit it and just to kind of explain that logic a little bit i really thought about it about 26 years ago i was in the backyard at our house and i was pitching our son jacob who was about two at the time i was pitching him a little baseball and he would just swing as hard as he could and miss it and uh, but he never got discouraged because i'd always say to him oh man jacob i didn't pitch that ball in the right place let me try again and so i took the blame 100 percent on myself and so his little ego was just building and building and he just would swing with vigor and eventually he made contact and so i figured out where to pitch it where he could make contact and once he felt that success then i could start making adjustments with him i might say something like now watch the ball hit your bat watch the ball all the way in hit your batter i might say hey step that right foot in a little closer toward the plate and so he had to we had to find where that sweet spot was where that success was and then we could build from there that also became my approach in teaching math because honestly a lot of kids by middle school had been striking out in math a long time and i just felt like it was up to us as the teachers to to pitch it where they could hit it in terms of math concepts and then take them from there so you talked about legacy and just coincidentally you you're just showing me a a message today that you received from a, a student who uh, went on to graduate, became a teacher. So, you know, 20 years later, the student reaches out to you just to tell you how big an impact you had on his life. That's, that's got to mean something. Yeah. So Greg O'Brien, hey, man, if you're, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, I, I'm not the greatest at Messenger and Facebook, but I found somehow found this message today, which just happened to be the day of this interview, and it looked like you sent it in June, so I apologize. I was not ignoring you for six months, but yeah, I just meant the world to me because you just never know along the way who you impacted, and honestly, what means most to me about that email, although he said some very nice things about me as a teacher that he is now teaching and his wife is teaching and so they are now creating a legacy for a whole new generation mm. so it's kind of fun yeah so i remember you studying math problems and inviting the math team to our house to practice you, you really had a, a passion to see the kids and your team succeed yeah and really i take that same approach now with the athletes that we coach because honestly, coaching, running, and triathlon, although the, the goals are different, the concept is similar because all of our athletes come with different strengths. There might be one who has already completed an Ironman and done well. There may be one that has never run at all before. And so it's just, uh, it's really the same concept, like teaching is teaching, coaching is coaching. You have to get to know each individual, find where they are, and then just building blocks, just build on success after success. And it's just, um, it's fun to watch them get better in, in incremental steps. Yeah. So I remember when you were a middle school principal, how you sometimes had to deal with discipline issues and you just had an amazing knack at discerning the the truth. I think that's one of your gifts is discernment and seeing where people are and recognizing their potential. Well, let's uh, let's change topics just a little bit. Let's let's get just a little bit personal. So we've known each other a long time, and like I said, feathered hair and freckles. <laughs> you have been beautiful even since middle school. And you still are today, but you haven't always felt beautiful. What have been your struggles and how have you overcome them? Well, I think the biggest thing with, with me and probably a lot of women and probably some men too, but not you. I mean, you, 
I, I just didn't have the metabolism that you had. You could eat all the food and not gain a pound where I felt like if I looked at a french fry, I was going to gain 25 pounds. But I guess after I had my kids, I put on some weight when I was pregnant and it really didn't shed. And so I tried all the fad diets and, you know, they'd work. I'd lose the weight, but they weren't healthy and they weren't sustainable. So I don't know how many times I've lost the same 15 or 20 pounds throughout my 20s and 30s. But really, it was much later in life, in my later 40s, honestly, when I finally solved that puzzle. Yeah. So you eventually started running. So my first memories of you becoming a runner were when you secretly signed up for the Southern Indiana Half Marathon in that same year. Our daughter, Bethany, she was doing the, her first full marathon. How did this come about, and how was that race experience? What year did you run Memphis, your first marathon? It was, I'm not remember. sure, 2008, 2009. Because I can remember being at that marathon and sitting with all the the wives. You You ran that with a bunch of buddies, and we were all sitting in a coffee shop. I'm not a coffee drinker, but they were. We were all joking about how we didn't understand why you guys were running marathons. Like, why? So, anyway, just so just to let you know that mindsets can change, and you never know. <laughs> and so, at age 42, I really decided to jump off the sidelines. All my adult life, I'd either been cheering for you at races or keeping the kids while you were running or... When the kids got older, they were runners and swimmers, so I enjoyed cheering them on. But, you know, at some point, they grew up. Bethany went off to college, and Jacob, as a junior in high school, went off to a prestigious academy that was a boarding school. So I don't know why, but on December 31st of 2008, I just decided, and I voiced it to you, that I was going to run or set a goal to run a thousand miles in 2009 and I mean Dean you know me pretty well mm -hmm. if I set my mind to something it it doesn't matter what it does like I just I just do it which I'm not sure that's the best thing but anyway I did stick with it I, I'm trying to remember I call it stubborn you usually call it something a little bit more persistent persistent you know something you usually use something a little bit more positive but it's stubbornness I, I got that from my dad <laughs> anyway I did finish my 1000th mile on my uh, birthday December the 18th and then in January of 2010 I learned that our daughter Bethany was going to run her first marathon I think she had met a group of friends at college and they were training together so I figured out that there was a half that day too so I was going to surprise you all and run that half but as my miles increased I think you guys were on to me pretty early so mm -hmm. there was there was no secret but I do remember that during that time like through 2009 when I was running my 1000 miles and then upping my distance in 2010 my weight did start improving and I really didn't have to think about it as much but I still wasn't fueling my body correctly but we'll talk about that later. So growing up you were fearless you were active now as an adult you're uh, you're stubborn I think that runs in your family <laughs> and that can be a good thing um, you always start what you finish as an educator you understand how learning takes place and you yourself have been learning and adapting to this new lifestyle in your 40s when you started running. You may have started late, but you're going strong. So let's continue moving forward in time. So after the half marathon, you decided the Chicago Marathon would be your first. And our kids are adults at this time. I remember riding the bike with you occasionally early in the mornings, and then I would schedule a time to do my running at a different time but uh, tell us about your Chicago marathon training well I know I went back and forth 
about signing up for Chicago way too long. You and your buddies were going to Chicago and y'all had already registered. And I was on the fence because honestly, I had done that half, but I didn't know if I had time to get the miles under my belt. But when I finally signed up or decided I was going to do it, you went to, to register me and they were sold out. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed. You remember what you did? I don't. <laughs> you did some research and got me a charity bib. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually <laughs> doing this for all charitable <laughs> for all charitable reasons. So. Do you I, remember the charity? Uh, girls on Girls on the Run. Girls on the Run. That's right. And I think that was a charity that that we did. So anyway, having coached and been around the sport. A long time and having coached track and cross country I knew enough to know that if I was going to do the full I had to work on long slow distance I had to just work on building up my miles and not worry about speed and vo2 max and like all the things that you have to pay attention to and look at if you're going to try to get a time go so I just knew I had to build a base, so I was just very basic in my training, stacking up the miles, doing a cycle to where I'd increase the miles and then cut back. So I really feel like the training that I did for that prepared me well, but the little glitch was we were running my long, my longest run. I can't remember. I think it was a 22-mile run, which, I mean, that's a lot for a first marathon, But and it was going well, and I felt great but we were downtown in front of goldie's the little opera house mm -hmm. and there was a little broken area in the sidewalk and my toe caught it and i tripped and fell into like i stayed on my feet but i fell into like a deep lunge where my right foot caught me way out in front and i knew right then something wasn't right but of course i finished the run <laughs> which i shouldn't have but i did live and learn and anyway I, I after that I took some time off and I went to see one of our doctor friends and finally had to get nothing showed up on the x-ray finally had to get an MRI and found out there was a hairline fracture in my pelvis so obviously I was going to be out and anyway I ended up being a cheerleader for Chicago as well so I didn't I didn't run a marathon in 2010 but I had I had a great base and built a lot of miles before I went on my eight-week unplanned vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was disappointing, and you were in great shape. You just never know what tomorrow's going to bring. I like to say with my running friends that every day is a blessing. We sometimes take for granted the, the pleasure of being able to swim or bike or run, but then something happens and it takes it away, and we face tomorrow with a big part of our lives distorted, these tough times help us keep perspective that this is just a hobby. We just need to keep our priorities as faith and family and then fitness. Before Chicago, you were knocked down, but not out. The bar was set and you were going to run a marathon. You had unfinished business. So tell us about your next marathon attempt. So after my eight weeks recovery, I had started running just a little bit at a time and I was building up and this was now early 2011 and you and I met some friends actually through small group at church. They were hosting something at their house and we wanted to try a small group. So we went and Terry and I immediately hit it off and became friends and she was a runner and invited me to run with her group which was very intimidating to me because I'd always run by myself and at this point still wasn't really considering myself a quote-unquote runner like still just trying to figure it out but they had decided her and her group of friends had decided they were going to do the niagara marathon which started in buffalo new york and finished at niagara Falls. so i mean that sounded pretty cool honestly so i continued during the week training on my own again you know i'm still like full-time job mom all the things and so I would run on my own during the week. But on the weekends, I'd meet up with her and her friends for our long, slow distance. And so 
it, it was fun building that camaraderie and building that building those friendships and Terry was always very encouraging so and again through this training cycle again no attempt at speed still working on building that distance base that solid just on my feet base and I know many athletes make the mistake of trying to increase their distance and increasing their intensity and speed simultaneously and it's usually just a recipe for disaster but honestly we'll probably do a future podcast talking more about that so anyway I do feel like I did that well just working on getting the miles so in Niagara I was coming off a taper and I felt great somehow Terry and I got split up at the start we had planned to run it together but we were not together so I didn't know if she was ahead of me or behind me so I didn't know I don't know like if I was trying to chase her down to find her or what but I was out way too fast but I was I mean I was feeling great uh, and I'm sure you were probably thinking what's she doing but mm -hmm. you were just smiling and cheering so I was going with it but at mile 16 things changed quickly my left IT band actually tightened up and I had not experienced that at all during training so I was unfamiliar with the with the pain but I walked through it I remember you walked with me some and then finally it loosened up and I was able to finish I finished at the 420 around four hours 20 minutes and I wasn't thrilled with that time I never hit the wall I, I was not even I mean I was sore like marathon sore but not like I had really done what I wanted to do so 13 days later I ended up <laughs> running my second marathon I was actually riding up with Terry and Lisa and Scott to Indy and you were already up there I guess you and Steve were already up there checking in because that was your race and mm -hmm. so Lisa had also run Niagara and wasn't happy with her time so the whole way up like we were debating do we run again do we not and uh, Terry I think poor Terry we gave her a migraine <laughs> <laughs> it was a long ride finally I just called you and said hey are you at the expo sign me up like I didn't even give you a choice <laughs> yeah so the uh, supportive husband agreed to uh sign you up but uh you know, as a coach, I wouldn't recommend doing your second marathon 13 days after your first. But I knew you had a score to settle. Even though you had finished Niagara, you were disappointed again because you didn't, you weren't able to follow your plan and, and you paid the price. Yeah, I mean, I just knew I'd messed up in, in uh, Niagara. Like, you can't train one way and then race another way. And that's, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I knew better. But, you know, it felt so good. <laughs> those those first 16 miles felt awesome. So anyway, at, at the Monumental in Indy, I just tucked into a pace group. I stayed within uh, my training. Um, and I finished in a 409, which was right around what I had intended to do at Niagara. But anyway, I got, I got a little ahead of myself. A month shy of age 44, I went from never running a marathon to two under my belt. So there you go. I don't know how you uh, were able to bounce back so quickly to run your second marathon. Many runners and triathletes, including myself, sometimes need weeks just to be able to start running short distances comfortably. So you ran a thousand miles in one year. You did your first half marathon. You did two full marathons. Obviously, you set big goals. How did you decide to do a half Ironman as your first triathlon? So shortly after the monumental uh, marathon, another good friend of mine, Angela Mayfield, began asking me about triathlon. I was giving it some consideration, but I had never swam. I mean, I was comfortable in the water. I wouldn't drown. I was around boating my whole life, and you had a pool in your backyard, so... It's not like I was scared of water. It's just I had never once had a swim lesson and probably had never put my face in the water and like had to breathe and swim and that type of thing. And I also didn't own a bike. I mean, I had a some kind of little hybrid bike that we would ride when our kids were little, ride with them, but I didn't have a, a bike to race with. Yeah, it kind of sounds like my story. Can't swim, no bike, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, pretty much. So I met Breckley Tipton. He actually, he used to own a bike shop in Owensboro, but at this time his bike shop was in Evansville. So you took me over there and I saw a Super 6 that was small and like looked just my size. And I didn't even realize it, but it was a, a used bike. And after talking with the salespeople there, I found out it was actually Breckley's bike. And so my sister had already known Breckley, so she reached out to him and we uh, got to know each other and I actually bought his bike as my first bike. It was, um, it was a road bike. It wasn't a tri bike at that time. I didn't even know there was geometrical differences and like I have learned a lot about biking since then. But what I did have going for me is my big tomboy experiences of bike riding as a kid. So I feel like I took to tri biking, road biking like a fish to water. Like it was just, it was fun and natural. So had my bike now and in January of, now we're in 2012, Angela calls me and I'm at work and she says, hey, there's 50 slots left for Ironman Augusta 70.3 if we're doing it, we need to sign up now. I feel like I called you, maybe, and signed you up, too. <laughs> Again, the supportive husband, not coming from a coach's perspective. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, Angela <laughs> signed up. I signed up. I signed Dean up. And, you know, you can go back and listen to the last episode about his... He at least had a couple triathlons under his belt at this point. My plan was, because this was January, and... I think Augusta was in September. Yes. Yeah. So my plan was get comfortable on the bike, get comfortable with the swim, sign up for a sprint or two, and then when Augusta rolls around, I'm going to be golden. But unfortunately, I did not take to swimming like I did biking. So it, it really it seemed like the harder I worked in the water, the worse it got. So... I was in no way prepared to enter a sprint because I was so busy learning to swim. So anyway, Augusta rode around, never got around to doing a sprint. So actually, yes, my first triathlon was a half Ironman. I'm not saying I'd recommend that as a coach, but I mean, I'm still sitting here, so it's doable. So, hey, if there's anybody out there crazy, we'll get you ready. <laughs> we'll get you ready. So... Anyway, in September of 2012, I competed the Augusta half, and I'll have to say this, fortunately the swim was a huge downstream current. The water flow was pretty decent that day, I'm, I'm just going to have to say. So I made it out of the water, I didn't drown, which was honestly, I didn't think I would drown, but... I mean, I didn't know. I really hadn't done a... Did I even train open water? I didn't know. it. So it was my first really open water swim. I wouldn't say... I wouldn't necessarily say it was out without incident. At one point, you know, there's these kayaks out in the water. And, you know, you think they're just kind of there for show. But this guy in his kayak, he comes paddling toward me. Hey, you need to hold on to my boat a minute. And I'm thinking... Okay, I know I'm not the best swimmer, but really, <laughs> like, do I, look, do I look that bad? Do I look like I need help? Of course, he could see what was coming behind me. I, I couldn't, but I don't know if you remember or not, but the 30 to 34 age group, man, we went off in waves, and mm -hmm. why they put the old women in front of the 30-year-old men. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I have no idea, but it was like two-minute staggers, and it didn't take them four minutes to catch me I guess and you know they're in a hurry they're racing they they have goals and so I mean they swam right over top of me so at least now I know why the kayak guy wanted me to hold on to the boat for a minute and in hindsight I would have taken him up on it so anyway I exited the water I was ecstatic I'm sure I was grinning ear to ear because I that was the only part of the day I was worried about because I can bike and I can run right so Anyway, I, I like to joke later, I tell people that somebody threw a potato chip bag in when I got in and it got to the finish line before I did. <laughs> <laughs> the current was nice. The current was nice. And, and anyway, I was not the best swimmer at that time. So anyway, the rest of the race was a blast. The, the bike course, if you ever have a chance to do that race, you really should. That bike course is 
I mean, it's rolling hills. It's enough uphill to, to uh, work you a little bit, but it, you definitely get your pay dirt with those rollers and going down the hill. So that was a fun course. And then the the uh, run was a looped course. So I saw my daughter Bethany several times cheering. And then after you finished the race, I saw you out there cheering for me as well. So it was a great race. It was a fun day. And I don't regret that being my first triathlon. Somehow you made it. You survived the open water swim. You biked conservatively. And for your first triathlon, you really ran strong. So I remember before we went to Augusta, just hearing some news stories about the, about the Savannah River. There was one story about an alligator in the Savannah River. But to top that, there was some fear of brain-eating amoeba in the river. <laughs> Needless to say, you know, I was nervous getting in the water, but you were fearless. Your determination pushed you into the water and across the finish line for your first triathlon. Let me just give a pro tip here. If, if any of you out there listening are going to do your first Ironman or half Ironman, don't join the Augusta Half Facebook page or the Ironman Louisville Facebook page. Like, I'm pretty sure all those alligator sightings and things were just myth and hyperbola but i didn't know that like i don't know anyway you're talking about my determination pushing me into the water let me tell you what pushed me into the water because the night before angel and i went down so we decided it'd be a good idea to do a practice swim since i'd never done an open water swim so we're sitting on the edge of the dock and i'm debating on whether or not to get in or not and this I'm assuming well-meaning guy comes up behind us and takes both of us at once and shoves us into the water. So, um, yeah, we weren't happy about it, but there was no turning back because the current took us. And anyway, I don't know if you remember this either, but I put my face in the water for the first time. Of course, you don't see the black line of the pool. Like I'm used to a nice, clean, blue bottom pool with a black line. You remember all that, like, plant life that was just, oh, yeah. like... I know you all can't see me, but my arms are flailing the way the way these <laughs> these plants were moving in the water. Seriously, I did not sleep all night because every time I shut my eyes, I saw those plants, and all I could see was an alligator, like in my mind, coming through mm -hmm. those plants. So I remember when we were swimming, we were actually having to stroke our arms through that plant life. It was uh, it was an interesting swim. Mm. I, I will say one more thing, because a, a year or so later, I did the Tri-Indy, mm -hmm. and I had to swim in that canal. In Indianapolis, the canal downtown? Yeah. Oh, my word. I would swim in Augusta eight times before I'd ever get back in that canal. That was the most disgusting water. <laughs> and, and you said it was the coldest water you, you'd ever been in. It was not wetsuit legal, but I'm telling you, that water was colder than any water I'd ever swam in a wetsuit in so yeah but anyway trandy shout out because the race was fun but oh my goodness that canal is nasty <laughs> so just to, to all the listeners out there we do not encourage anybody to do a triathlon without practicing open water swimming we've uh, we both <laughs> learned from experience that if, if you've done any open water swimming you know that it is totally different than swimming in a pool it's the same stroke but it's a total different experience, and uh, you really need that experience before you jump in on race day. Let's uh, let's move on to your next adventure. All right. Well, I'll back up and just say, in while I was training for Niagara in 2011, I had started communicating with some colleagues of mine in the school system, Beth Benjamin and Kelly Powers, and they at the same time, although we were doing our training separately, they were training for um their first marathon as well like the what's that series that that goes on all across the country rock and roll yeah they did one of those rock and rolls at the same time and I, it might have even been the exact same weekend that i did niagara so after they finished that we kind of started running together so in early 2012 kelly and beth and i started running and i think 
maybe in January. They weren't happy with their race, and they didn't do a second one 13 days later, but they did sign up for one in January. They went to Disney, and we started running together shortly after that and decided we were going to go back to Disney and do the Goofy, where you do a half on Saturday and a full on Sunday, like just for fun, like not racing them. So honestly, we ran together six days a week and still not focusing on speed. We were just out enjoying long, slow distance. I feel like I did that for a long time, but I feel like it it uh, built a really important base for me. There were occasions that due to poor weather or work obligations, I did a few of my runs by myself on a treadmill at a local fitness club. And while I was there several times, I noticed that there was a young teacher. She was actually Bethany's age, our daughter's age. I would see her running on the treadmill. So I walked over and introduced myself to her and invited her to run with Beth and Kelly and me. And she joined us. And uh, she tried, I think she looked into registering for Disney. You have to register for those races well in advance because they sell out. So it was sold out and she couldn't run it, but she did all the runs with us. She did all of our long, like even the weekend, really long runs. She stuck with us. And anyway, the four of us became best of friends and still are to this day. Later that year, because you know Disney, Disney's got the marketing going on. You can do two races and get three medals at Disney World, but if in the same, but wait, if in the same year you go to Disneyland and do a half, then you also get the Coast to Coast medal, so, and plus it's a blast, just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Disney, so anyway, uh, so really, it was just a, a great fun year of training and developing that close group that, you know, we became the squad. The squad, the yes. Squad. So, so in addition to, to getting fit and racing, you've uh, you found a new social outlet as well. Isn't it great to train and, and race and, and develop friends along the way? It's, it's great for training with friends. It makes the time go by. But sometimes training with friends makes the paces way too fast as well. But moving on, what uh, what was next on your bucket list? Well, you know, the Disney races were for fun, but the squad decided that we were going to do the Indy Monumental, and this was not going to be my first time doing the Indy Monumental, but we decided to pick that as our A race, and for the first time ever, instead of just finishing a marathon, we wanted to finish with time goals in mind, so... And again, I'm not really sure what inspired me to pick a time other than I guess I just looked at a chart somewhere and it said, oh, to qualify for Boston at your age, you need to run X time. So I probably got a little ahead of myself because I needed a 25-minute PR. But you like setting big goals. I do. So I trained too hard. I really, really, I ignored the pain. I ran through a lot of pain in training. I got my 5K PR that summer when I was training. So that was fun. But what well, wasn't so fun, and you actually ran this race with me. It's not very often that we run a race at the same pace, but you were excited that I was going to try to qualify for Boston. So you ran it with me and I was on pace and feeling great. But I can remember at some point in the race, maybe around mile 10 or so, just telling you my back, like my back is just mm -hmm. killing me. And so we walked and you were encouraging and you were like, well, you might not qualify for Boston today, but maybe you'll go under four hours for the first time. Like, let's just, let's just uh, see what happens. So the four hour pace group eventually caught up to us and you're like, you know, let's just go with them. So I jumped in, but immediately the pain was back. And so we walked and again, you're going, Hey, it's a beautiful day. Let's spend it together. Let's just like, I mean, you were just great. Like, you weren't pushing me or saying, you know, you were just encouraging. Anyway, make a long story short, around 24 and a half miles, I literally could no longer bear weight on my left leg. I remember you and, was it Jared at first? Jared Bikey and, and Daniel Mayfield. Yeah, Jared and Daniel kind of swapped 
back and forth but you were with me the whole time and literally they were human crutches i would use my right leg to take one step and kind of crutch through them with my left leg i bet it took me an hour to finish that over the last mile and a half of the race and if you've done indy monumental before you know there's a long straight stretch as you're looking at the skyscrapers downtown it was a a long straight stretch that day yeah, so long story short, the next morning I ended up in the ER. Um, I'll let Dean tell you a little more about that because I don't really recall a whole lot about how I ended up in the ER. Um, other than I was on a gurney in the hotel lobby and I see Angela, my friend Angela Mayfield looking down at me like, wait, what? <laughs> like, so, what's going on here? So let me back up just a bit. So, you know, it was it was difficult to watch you struggle to the finish line and, and once across the finish line a wheelchair was waiting for you and they wheeled you into the medical tent and started moving your leg around and they said well it can't be broken because you can still move it well we learned differently later but so we left the race and since you couldn't put weight on your leg we went to Walgreens and bought some crutches <laughs> great you, idea you were in a so what idea was that it was probably your idea <laughs> because you didn't want to go to the hospital. We both just thought you had sore muscles. And the next morning, while you were trying to get ready in the bathroom, I heard this thud. I walked around the corner and you were laying on the floor, passed out. So panic set in and I called 911. And then I thought, I need to call the hotel lobby so they'll be expecting an ambulance and let them up the elevator. I called our friends to let them know we were going to the hospital. And the, the medics arrived and they wheeled you through the hotel lobby to the ambulance and I guess they wouldn't let me ride in the back so I rode up front and I remember asking the driver which hospital we were going to and I don't know if you remember I don't remember the name but anyway he told me and I asked if it was the best and he assured me that it was Jared Bikey and his wife Sarah waited with me at the hospital while you were in surgery because we learned that your femur was broken and it was going to require surgery to repair. Our former pastor's wife, Laura Grover, who now lived in Indianapolis, came to the waiting room and, and prayed with us. And it meant a lot to have friends there comforting me. And, and many of our family members drove the four hours to be with us after the surgery. And we're just so blessed to have uh, great friends and family. Breaking your femur instead of breaking the BQ standards was totally unexpected and disappointing <laughs> yeah i remember like uh, the worst part of that like i hadn't met the doctor yet that was going to repair my leg the er doctor i mean nobody thought my leg was broken the the, the guys at the tent at the finish line thought it was fine the one of the ambulance dudes in the back of the ambulance said he thought it was bursitis. Like, I don't even know what that is, but clearly it wasn't that. And then the ER doctor was like, well, you know, you're able to, to apply pressure with your foot. I don't think anything's broken, but just to be safe, let's take an x-ray. Then when he comes back, I could tell on his face that it was bad news. And he said I had to have surgery. And the amazing thing was is the doctor there his last name was weird, so everybody called him Dr. Z, but he was actually performing surgery on an Indianapolis Colt. They wouldn't tell us which one, but, I mean, he was supposedly a really great doctor, so I think God was looking over me as the timing of when when my femur actually broke. But So I, I just had these fears. You know, what if this had happened while you were on one of your Disney adventures in florida or disneyland and i wasn't there with you that would have been awful yeah so it it wasn't a good situation but we're blessed with the fact that we were together and we were in a place where we could get great care yeah if this would have happened in california i think i mean i know that kelly and beth and jen would have had my back and taken good care of me but it was definitely better timing and the lord looking over all of us that it happened at a race where you were there. So, because this injury, I mean, I had been fighting injury for a while and I had actually gone and gotten it checked and nothing showed up on the x ray. Anyway, it was just one of those things that it happened. But I remember the last thing I said to the doctor before Dean and 
Sarah and Jared left me, I said, will this heal on its own? Like, do I have to have surgery? And he just looked at me and laughed. He goes, you do know your femur's laying up on your pelvis, <laughs> your pelvis, right? I'm like, well, no, I, I really didn't. <laughs> I really didn't know that. So, yeah. But anyway, I now have some nice hardware in my leg, but it doesn't bother me. So this was a huge setback. In 2013, I ran 1,400 miles. And now here in 2014, I couldn't even start running again. Like this happened in November of 13. I couldn't even start running again until August of 14. So I, I clocked a total of 189 miles in 2014. So, I mean, it was a huge setback. But I will say, fortunately, I had great care with Dr. Z, the surgeon in Indy, and then, of course, back here, uh, a local orthopedic surgeon who's also uh, a friend of the family, Dr. Reed Wilson. He did all the follow-up, and he just paved my way to recovery. I mean, he just, I can't say enough about how much he cares for his patients, and he really does a great job, especially with athletes. So he now teases me anytime I go into his office for anything that uh, he uses my name as a verb telling his uh, other athletic patients to to not do a Paula Roberts on him or you know just you know kind of teasing me so anyway hopefully sometime we can get him on this podcast and interview him because I know great he, idea. he helps so many athletes anyway two years later in December of 2016 Dr. Wilson finally gave me the thumbs up for a marathon distance training again. I really didn't think it was going to happen because at first we were thinking I would be fortunate to train and do 10Ks, but my training went well and my treatment went well. And uh, so my initial thought was to jump right back into settling that score of my BQ attempt. But my friend Kelly Powers actually wanted to do the Louisville Ironman. And uh, I also wanted to do Ironman and I had done the half and enjoyed it. I wanted to do the full and I thought, well, it the training's gonna be so much more enjoyable if I have a friend to do it with and it turned out great, but and we talked about this in the first episode too, is that's when you actually became my online coach and where you got most of your you had a lot of coaching experience, but this is when you took it to online and that worked great. So anyway, that Ironman day was a blast. I really wouldn't change a thing about it. And I do still tear up when I, like, you know, Facebook rolls videos every year. And the one that always shows up is me hugging my dad at the finish line. So that was a great memory. So anyway, coming off of Louisville, I went into a recovery cycle. Like, I did what you're supposed to do. I actually went into a recovery cycle. And then in 2018... That's when, and you were still coaching me through the recovery. We agreed this time, rather than me telling you, I'm just going to do this or that. We agreed that April would be a good time for me to BQ. I was really in the shape of my life coming off the Ironman. Uh, that training cycle went well. I trained within the athlete that I was rather than the athlete that I wanted to be. I BQ'd with a PR of over 14 minutes. Actually, I had a 332 cushion for registering for Boston and that had always been enough in the past but that was the year that the cutoff was four minutes and 52 seconds so although I'd qualified it wasn't fast enough to gain entry and actually tow the line and to top that off then Boston stiffened the standards so now my qualifying time instead of being four hours was now 355 is that right? Yeah, 355. So I wanted to do that plus be more than five minutes under so I could register in week one. So you designed my training, up my paces slowly. I waited until July of 2019 and actually I got an eight minute PR. I had a 643 cushion under the new standard, registered in week one. So Boylston Street, here I come, right? <laughs> and then what happens? The pandemic. Yeah, so COVID-19. So today, I have two BQs, uh, one actual acceptance into the race, 
that became Boston 2020 virtual. Actually, you found a race in Grand Rapids, and I went up and did the virtual there. So if there's a Boston 2022, I have a BQ minus eight minutes uh, from that race. So story to be continued on me finishing on Boylston Street. Well, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. So I guess the lesson in my story is that even if you are a, a later starter, you really don't have to limit your goals. Because when I started, I mean, Dean had run Boston, and I really never considered myself that caliber of an athlete. Like, I just wanted to complete a marathon. But with consistency, I went from 420 to 409 to 357 to 348. And, you know, for 53-year-old, that's not terrible. Yeah, and it, it was a gradual process, just a little bit of a pr improvement year over year over year. And... And you've done great, and you're reaching your goals. But, you know, the most amazing thing is, you know, at age 53, in late December last year, we went down and ran, was that Memphis? Was that the St. Jude half? Mm -hmm. It was. Actually, in all this, I wasn't even really training for it. I have my half marathon PR at age 53. But who knows? My, my lifetime best may still be to come. It, it certainly could be. The best is yet to come. So we've talked about your athletic and professional career. Tell us a little bit about your faith. So I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were actually co-pastors of a very small church that really just kind of reached out to, to really the poor and needy, mostly in the center of downtown and just a nice little outreach in the city of Owensboro. But for me personally, I really don't remember a time uh, when the Lord wasn't a part of my life. I'm, although I've read a lot because I want to be able to help other people who struggle in this area, I've never questioned or doubted the existence of Christ. I've never doubted his love for me. I've never doubted his presence in my life. So I guess my goal is I want to honor him in all that I do. I used to shy away from sharing my faith, but I've just grown to realize that as Christians, we're called to share the message of salvation through Jesus. You know, people say, don't talk about religion and politics, and I don't care to talk about either necessarily, but I do want to talk about the Lord and the message of uh, salvation. You know, he calls us to love him first with all of our heart and all of our mind and soul, and after that, we're instructed to love our neighbor as ourself. And if you truly love others, then that love is going to be sharing his message, like the message of Christ, with others. Yeah, I agree, and, and thank you for sharing that. Our athletes can expect to get personalized coaching, but we're also here to encourage them in their faith, because that's what we're called to do. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? I mean, not necessarily. The only thing I want to just loop back to just for a second is training alone and running and biking and swimming like that didn't fix my body image and my nutrition problems it really didn't I mean it helped because I'm I'm now active and more physically fit but in addition to training I had to re relearn everything about eating for me discipline in eating is much harder than discipline in training my successful Ironman and my BQs probably had equal as much to do with consistent training as it did to changing my nutrition and getting a mindset around fueling. You know, like food is for fueling my body for efficiency. This subject is really important and it's probably going to be a podcast in and of itself later on. But I do want to loop back to that just for a second. This subject, however, is so important, it will also be addressed in a future podcast or maybe even multiple podcasts. So, because when we work with our athletes, I think that's something that we offer that a lot of coaches steer away from. But if our athletes want us to, and we don't get involved in this if they don't want us to, but if they want us to, we also add in that layer and really help them with proper fueling and nutrition. So that's going to wrap up this episode. And thanks, Paula, for sharing your uh, life story and all your adventures, what you've learned throughout your life and some of the struggles you've had and some of you the, the things you've overcome some of the big goals you've achieved all right thanks man all right
At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.